Welcome to Haunted Grove, the podcast that brings you the darkest, most spine-tingling stories from the world of the unknown. If you're a fan of cryptic tales, paranormal events, and unexplained mysteries, then you're in the right place. Each week, we'll take you on a journey into the shadows, exploring the macabre, the supernatural, and the downright terrifying. Our team of expert storytellers will guide you through tales of ghosts, monsters, haunted places, and more. But be warned, these stories are not for the faint of heart. They may keep you up at night, make you check under your bed, or have you looking over your shoulder. So, buckle up, listeners, and get ready to journey into the mysterious and macabre with Haunted Grove. Let's dive in. The Whispering Forest It was a dark and moonless night when I entered the forest. I had heard stories about the forest, how it was haunted by unspeakable horrors and how those who entered never returned. But I didn't believe in those stories, I thought they were just myths made up to scare people. However, as I stepped deeper into the forest, I realized that the stories were all too real. The forest was dense, with towering trees that blocked out any moonlight. The only light I had was from my flashlight, which cast eerie shadows that seemed to move with the wind. The silence of the forest was deafening, broken only by the occasional snap of a twig or rustle of leaves. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, that something was stalking me from the shadows. As I walked deeper into the forest, I saw strange symbols carved into the trees. They were like nothing I had ever seen before, ancient and otherworldly. They seemed to glow in the darkness, as if they had been carved with some kind of luminescent paint. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being drawn deeper into the forest, towards some unspeakable horror. Suddenly, I heard a twig snap behind me. I spun around, pointing my flashlight at the source of the noise. But there was nothing there, just the darkness and the rustling leaves. I realized then that I was not alone in the forest. Something was stalking me, watching my every move. I picked up my pace, trying to get out of the forest as quickly as possible. But the forest seemed to have other plans. The trees grew denser, the ground became more uneven, and the darkness seemed to close in around me. I began to feel lost, as if the forest was playing tricks on me, leading me deeper into its heart. As I stumbled through the undergrowth, I came across a clearing. In the center of the clearing was a stone altar, covered in strange symbols and surrounded by candles. It was then that I realized that I had stumbled upon something truly evil, something that should never have been disturbed. I tried to run, but my legs wouldn't move. It was as if some unseen force was holding me in place, preventing me from leaving. The candles around the altar flickered and danced, casting a sickly green light across the clearing. And then I heard it, a voice whispering in my ear, a voice that spoke in a language I couldn't understand. The forest began to shake, as if some great beast was waking from its slumber. The ground beneath me trembled, the trees shook, and the sky turned a sickly shade of green. And then I saw it, a great beast rising from the depths of the forest. It was like nothing I had ever seen before, a creature of nightmares and madness. Its body was covered in writhing tentacles, its eyes were like pools of darkness, and its mouth was filled with razor-sharp teeth. It towered over me, its massive form casting a shadow that blotted out the moon. I knew then that I had made a terrible mistake, that I had disturbed something that should never have been disturbed. The creature spoke to me, its voice echoing through the forest, telling me of things beyond human comprehension, things that would drive a man mad. And then the forest went dark, as if the creature had swallowed the very light of the moon. I was alone with the creature, with no hope of escape. The creature spoke to me again, its voice like thunder, and I knew then that I was lost. And that was the last thing I remembered. When I woke up, 
I was lying on the forest floor, my head pounding and my body aching. The sun was just starting to rise, casting a golden light across the forest. I stumbled to my feet, feeling disoriented and confused. As I walked through the forest, trying to find my way back to civilization, I couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching me. It was as if the forest itself was alive, and that the creature was still out there, waiting for its next victim. When I finally emerged from the forest, I was greeted by a group of police officers. They had been searching for me for days, ever since I had failed to return from my hike. They were relieved to see me, but they could see that something was not right. I was pale and gaunt, my eyes were sunken, and I seemed to be in a state of shock. I tried to explain what had happened in the forest, but they didn't believe me. They thought I was delusional, that I had lost my mind in the forest. But I knew what I had seen, what I had experienced. And I knew that the creature was still out there, waiting for its next victim. For weeks after my ordeal in the forest, I was haunted by nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, covered in sweat, with the memory of the creature's voice echoing in my head. I couldn't escape the feeling that the forest was calling me back, that it wanted me to return to the clearing, to the stone altar. And then, one night, I did return to the forest. It was like I had no control over my own body. I found myself walking towards the clearing, towards the stone altar, towards the creature. I knew that I was putting myself in danger, but I couldn't stop myself. As I approached the clearing, I saw the creature waiting for me. Its massive form towered over me, its tentacles writhing in the air. And then it spoke to me again, its voice like thunder. It told me that I was special, that I had been chosen to be its vessel, to carry out its will. I knew then that I had made a terrible mistake, that I had become entangled in something beyond my understanding. But it was too late to turn back now. I had already been marked by the forest, by the creature. I was already lost. And so I embraced my fate, willingly surrendering myself to the creature. It consumed me, body and soul, leaving nothing behind but a shell of a man. And in the darkness of the forest, the creature continued to slumber, waiting for its next victim to stumble upon the stone altar, to awaken it from its long, dreamless sleep. The Curse of Cresna Island Once a thriving tropical paradise, the island of Cresna was now nothing more than a barren wasteland. The few scattered palm trees that remained provided little shelter from the harsh winds that hauled across the island. The sun beat down relentlessly on the jagged rocks that jutted out from the barren ground. There was no sign of life on the island, not even a bird. The only sound that could be heard was the relentless pounding of the waves on the shore. A group of travelers had washed up on the shore of the island, their boat having capsized in a storm. The group of six had been on a pleasure cruise, looking to escape the stress and noise of city life. But now they were stranded on this deserted island, with no way to call for help. The group consisted of Tom and Susan, a married couple in their thirties, Jack, a middle-aged businessman, Cindy, a young college student, and two elderly sisters, Agatha and Bertha. The group gathered on the beach, taking stock of their situation. They had lost all their supplies in the storm, and there was no food or water on the island. The only shelter they could find was a small cave in the cliffs. They huddled together in the cave, hoping that someone would come to rescue them soon. Days turned into weeks, and the group's hopes of rescue began to fade. They were forced to scavenge for food and water, relying on the meager resources the island provided. They built a fire to keep warm at night and took turns keeping watch for any signs of rescue. But as the days passed, they began to notice something strange about the island. At night, strange noises could be heard coming from the depths of the island. The sound of footsteps and whispers echoed through the cave, 
and the group could not help but feel as though they were being watched. They tried to reassure themselves that it was just their imagination, that there was no one else on the island. But as time went on, the feeling of unease only grew stronger. One night, as they huddled around the fire, they heard a blood-curdling scream coming from the depths of the island. It was a sound like none of them had ever heard before, a sound that chilled them to the bone. They huddled together, trying to reassure each other that it was just the wind or an animal. But they knew deep down that something was terribly wrong on this island. The next day, as they were exploring the island, they came across an old abandoned mansion. The mansion was overgrown with vines and weeds, and it looked as though it had been abandoned for years. But as they approached, they could hear the sound of music coming from inside. It was a haunting melody, a tune that they could not place. They hesitated for a moment, but curiosity got the better of them, and they ventured inside. The mansion was dark and musty, and the group could barely see their way through the thick cobwebs and dusty furniture. The music grew louder as they made their way through the rooms, and they could hear the sound of laughter and conversation. But when they entered the ballroom, the source of the music, they found that it was empty. The room was grand, with high ceilings and ornate decorations, but there was no one there. Suddenly, the doors slammed shut behind them, and they were plunged into darkness. They could hear the sound of footsteps approaching, and they huddled together, fear coursing through their veins. But when the light flickered back on, they found that they were alone once again. They quickly made their way out of the mansion, their hearts pounding in their chests. As they made their way back to the cave the group tried to rationalize what they had just experienced, but deep down, they all knew that there was something sinister on the island. That night, they could barely sleep, and the sound of footsteps and whispers echoed through the cave. They knew that they were not alone on the island, and the feeling of dread grew stronger with each passing day. Days turned into weeks, and the group's desperation grew. They tried to build a raft to escape the island, but the currents were too strong, and they were forced to abandon their attempts. They scoured the island for food and water, but their supplies were running low. They began to turn on each other, arguing and fighting over every scrap of food. But in the midst of all this chaos, they found a glimmer of hope. They discovered a hidden room in the mansion, one that was filled with food and supplies. It was as though someone had been living in the mansion all along, watching them from the shadows. But who could it be? As they gathered the supplies and made their way out of the room, they could hear the sound of footsteps approaching. They huddled together, fear gripping their hearts. But when the figure emerged from the shadows, they were surprised to find that it was an old man. He introduced himself as Abraham, and he claimed to have been living on the island for years. Abraham told them the story of the island, of how it had been cursed by a vengeful witch centuries ago. The witch had been a powerful sorceress, and she had cursed the island, causing it to become barren and desolate. The few who had tried to live on the island had met with terrible fates, and it was said that their souls still roamed the island, searching for revenge. Abraham had been living on the island for years, studying the witch's curse and trying to find a way to break it. He had been the one who had left the supplies in the hidden room, hoping that someone would find them and be able to survive on the island. But now, with the group stranded on the island, he saw a chance to break the curse once and for all. Abraham led the group to a hidden cave, deep in the heart of the island. There, he showed them a ritual that could break the curse, but it would require a sacrifice. One of them would have to offer themselves up to the witch, to appease her vengeful spirit and break the curse. The group was horrified by the idea, but they knew that they had no other choice. They drew straws to see who would be the sacrifice, and the unlucky one was Susan. She was to be taken to the witch's lair, deep in the bowels of the island, and offered up as a sacrifice. The group accompanied Susan to the witch's lair, their hearts heavy with fear and sorrow. 
As they made their way through the winding tunnels, they could hear the sound of whispers and laughter. They knew that the witch's spirit was watching them, waiting for the sacrifice to be made. But when they reached the witch's lair, they found that the witch was not what they expected. She was not a monster or a demon, but a beautiful woman, trapped in an eternal sleep. The sacrifice was not meant to appease her vengeful spirit, but to awaken her from her slumber. With a heavy heart, Susan offered herself up to the witch, and the curse was lifted. The island was transformed, the barren wasteland giving way to lush forests and crystal-clear streams. The group was rescued, and they returned to civilization, forever changed by their experiences on the island. As they looked back on their time on Kresna, they knew that their lives would never be the same. The experience had taught them to appreciate the simple things in life, and they had formed a bond that would last a lifetime. But the memory of the island and the witch's curse would haunt them forever. As the years went by, the group went their separate ways, but they kept in touch. They would gather every year on the anniversary of their rescue, to remember the island and the sacrifice that had been made. But as they gathered one year, they received a strange message. The message was from Abraham, the old man who had helped them break the curse. He had returned to the island, and he had made a discovery that would change everything. The witch's curse had not been fully lifted, and there was still a darkness that lingered on the island. The group knew that they had to go back to the island, to help Abraham break the curse once and for all. They set sail for Kresna, the memories of their previous journey weighing heavily on their minds. But as they approached the island, they could see that something had changed. The island was once again barren and desolate, and there was a darkness that hung over it like a shroud. The group could feel the same sense of unease that they had felt years ago, and they knew that they were in for a fight. As they made their way through the island, they encountered strange creatures that they had never seen before. They were dark and twisted, and they seemed to be controlled by some unseen force. The group fought their way through the creatures, their weapons clashing with their twisted forms. But as they reached the heart of the island, they encountered the source of the darkness. It was a woman, with long black hair and eyes that burned with a fierce intensity. She was the witch, and she had returned to take revenge on those who had broken her curse. The group fought bravely, but they were no match for the witch's dark powers. They were thrown back by waves of dark energy, and it seemed as though all was lost. But then, a voice spoke out in the darkness. It was Susan, the one who had made the sacrifice years ago. She spoke to the witch, telling her of the pain and suffering that her curse had caused. She told the witch of the beauty that could be found on the island, and the love that the group had found in each other. As Susan spoke, the witch's resolve began to falter. She saw the pain and suffering that her curse had caused, and she knew that it was time to let go of her anger and resentment. With a final burst of energy, the witch's curse was broken, and the island was restored to its former beauty. The group looked out at the island, now once again a paradise. They knew that they had been through a terrible ordeal, but they had come out the other side stronger and more determined. They had broken the witch's curse, and they had proven that even in the darkest of times, there was still hope. Beneath the Bones, A Journey Through the Catacombs of Paris It was a dark and stormy night, the kind that sent chills down your spine, and made your skin crawl. I was lost in the catacombs, the labyrinthine network of tunnels and crypts that lay beneath the city of Paris. The air was thick with the scent of death and decay, and the only sound was the distant drip of water, echoing through the ancient stone corridors. I had been exploring the catacombs for hours, my flashlight barely illuminating the way ahead. I was beginning to think I was lost when I saw a flicker of light in the distance. My heart racing, I picked up my pace, eager to find my way out of this dark, foreboding place. As I got closer, 
I realized that the light was coming from a small room, its walls lined with shelves filled with bones. I hesitated for a moment, wondering if I should turn back, but my curiosity got the better of me, and I stepped into the room. The room was eerily silent, and the only sound was the soft rustling of bones as I moved through the space. I scanned the room, trying to find the source of the light, when I saw her. She was a young woman, with long, flowing hair and a pale, ghostly complexion. She was sitting on the floor, surrounded by bones, and her eyes were fixed on a small, flickering flame in front of her. I was frozen in fear, unsure of what to do. But before I could turn and run, the woman spoke. Welcome, she said, her voice soft and haunting. I've been waiting for you. I was bewildered, unsure of how to respond. Who are you? I asked. I am Marie, she said. I've been trapped down here for centuries, waiting for someone to help me escape. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. How did you get here? I asked. Marie's face twisted into a look of anguish. I was buried alive, she said. In the catacombs. I've been trapped down here ever since, unable to find my way out. I felt a shiver run down my spine. How can I help you? I asked. Marie gestured towards the flickering flame. That is the only light I have, she said. But it is fading. If it goes out, I will be trapped down here forever. I need you to find me a new source of light. I hesitated for a moment, unsure of what to do. But something in Marie's eyes drew me in, and I knew that I had to help her. With a determined look on my face, I set out into the catacombs, searching for a new source of light. As I walked, I felt a sense of unease creeping up on me, the feeling that I was not alone down here in the darkness. And then, I heard it. A soft, whispering voice, coming from the shadows. I turned, my flashlight casting a beam of light into the darkness, but I saw nothing. I continued on, my heart pounding in my chest, and the voice grew louder, more insistent. And then, I saw her. A woman, just like Marie, with long, flowing hair and a ghostly complexion. She was standing in front of a small flame, holding a candle. Help me, she whispered. Help me escape this place. I felt a chill run down my spine, and I backed away slowly, my flashlight shaking in my hand. As I turned to run, I saw another figure in the darkness, and then another, and another. I was surrounded by the ghosts of the catacombs, all of them pleading with me to help them escape. I tried to run, but they closed in around me, their ghostly hands reaching out to grab me. I could feel their icy touch on my skin, and I knew that I was in grave danger. But then, a hand reached out of the darkness and grabbed me, pulling me away from the ghosts and back into the safety of the dimly lit tunnels. It was Marie. She had found me, and she led me through the catacombs, away from the ghostly apparitions that haunted the tunnels. We moved quickly, our footsteps echoing through the stone corridors as we searched for a new source of light. But the catacombs were vast, and our search seemed endless. We turned corner after corner, moving deeper and deeper into the maze of tunnels. And then, we saw it. A faint light, coming from a small room at the end of the corridor. We hurried towards it, our hearts racing with excitement. As we entered the room, we saw a small fire burning in a stone pit in the center of the room. Marie rushed to it, and began to stoke the flames, adding more wood and kindling until the fire roared to life, casting a warm glow across the room. I breathed a sigh of relief, grateful to have found a new source of light. But as we prepared to leave the room, we heard a sound coming from the shadows. A soft, scraping sound, like something dragging itself across the stone floor. We turned, our flashlights casting beams of light into the darkness. 
and that's when we saw it. A figure, shrouded in darkness, slowly dragging itself towards us. Its limbs were twisted and deformed, and its eyes glowed with a sickly yellow light. We froze in terror, unsure of what to do. But then, Marie spoke. It's a revenant, she said. A spirit that has been bound to the catacombs. We need to destroy it if we want to escape. I felt a wave of fear wash over me, but I knew that Marie was right. We had to destroy the revenant if we wanted to escape this place. With a determined look on our faces, we launched ourselves at the revenant, our flashlights shining bright as we struck blow after blow. It was a fierce battle, but in the end, we emerged victorious, the revenant dissolving into the shadows. We turned and ran, our feet pounding the stone floor as we made our way through the catacombs. We could feel the earth shaking beneath us, and we knew that something terrible was happening. And then, we saw it. A massive, swirling vortex, its maw gaping wide, ready to swallow us whole. We tried to run, but the vortex was too strong, pulling us inexorably towards its gaping jaws. And then, everything went dark. I could feel the cold stone floor beneath me, and I knew that I had somehow escaped the catacombs. As I made my way back to the surface, I couldn't shake the feeling that something was following me. That something was lurking in the shadows, waiting to drag me back down into the darkness. But I refused to look back, determined to leave the catacombs behind me. And as I emerged into the bright sunlight of the Parisian streets, I knew that I had survived something truly terrible. Something that I would never forget. The Vortex of Shadows It was a dark and stormy night, and the wind was howling through the trees. The rain was beating against the windows of the cabin, and the only sounds were the occasional crack of thunder and the hiss of the fire in the hearth. The four travelers huddled together in the living room, trying to keep warm and dry, and trying to ignore the strange sounds that seemed to be coming from outside. The cabin was deep in the mountains, far from civilization, and the only way to get there was by a narrow, winding road that snaked through the hills. The travelers had set out that morning, thinking it would be a pleasant adventure to spend a week in the mountains, away from the hustle and bustle of the city. But now, as they huddled together in the dimly lit cabin, they were beginning to wonder if they had made a mistake. The first traveler was a man named Tom. He was a rugged, outdoorsy type, and he had suggested the trip to the mountains in the first place. He had spent his entire life in the city, and he longed for a taste of the wilderness. But now, as he listened to the wind howling outside, he was beginning to regret his decision. The second traveler was a woman named Emily. She was a writer, and she had come along to find inspiration for her next book. She had hoped to spend her days exploring the mountains, taking in the beautiful scenery, and jotting down ideas for her story. But now, as she looked out the window and saw nothing but darkness and rain, she was beginning to doubt that she would find anything of interest in this desolate place. The third traveler was a man named Ben. He was a businessman, and he had come along to get away from the stresses of his job. He had hoped to spend his time in the mountains relaxing and enjoying the company of his friends. But now, as he watched the rain beat against the window and heard the strange sounds coming from outside, he was beginning to feel more stressed than ever. The fourth traveler was a woman named Sarah. She was a nurse, and she had come along to take a break from her job at the hospital. She had hoped to spend her time in the mountains relaxing and recharging her batteries. But now, as she looked around the dimly lit cabin and listened to the wind howling outside, she was beginning to wonder if she would ever get any rest. As the night wore on, the travelers began to feel more and more uneasy. They heard strange noises coming from outside, and they could feel something lurking in the darkness. They tried to tell themselves that it was just their imagination, but the feeling of unease would not go away. 
Finally, Emily spoke up. I don't think we're alone here, she said. The others looked at her, surprised. What do you mean? asked Tom. I mean that I think there's something out there, said Emily. Something that's watching us. The other travelers looked at each other, unsure of what to say. But then they heard a noise that made their blood run cold. It was a scratching sound, like something was trying to claw its way into the cabin. Tom sprang to his feet and grabbed a flashlight. I'll go check it out, he said, trying to sound brave. But as he opened the door and stepped outside, he knew that he was in over his head. The rain was coming down harder than ever, and the wind was howling so loudly that he could barely hear himself think. He shone his flashlight around, but he couldn't see anything except for the darkness and the rain. Suddenly, he heard a sound that made him freeze in his tracks. It was a low, guttural growl, coming from somewhere in the darkness. Tom felt a shiver run down his spine as he realized that he was not alone. He slowly turned his flashlight in the direction of the sound, trying to make out what was lurking in the shadows. And then he saw it. Two glowing eyes, staring back at him from the darkness. Tom froze, his heart pounding in his chest. He couldn't move, couldn't breathe, as the creature stepped out of the shadows and into the light of his flashlight. It was a massive beast, with fur as black as night and razor-sharp teeth bared in a fierce snarl. Its eyes glinted in the darkness, and Tom felt his blood run cold as he realized that he was staring down a creature straight out of his worst nightmares. He stumbled back into the cabin, slamming the door shut behind him. There's something out there, he gasped, his voice shaking. We need to get out of here, now. The other travelers looked at him, their faces pale with fear. They had all heard the growling, and they knew that something was out there in the darkness. What do we do? asked Emily, her voice trembling. Tom's mind was racing as he tried to think of a plan. He knew that they couldn't stay in the cabin, not with that thing out there in the darkness. But he also knew that they couldn't just run blindly into the night. And then he remembered something that he had seen on the drive up to the mountains. A small cave, hidden away in the hills. It was risky, but it might be their only chance. We need to make a run for it, he said, his voice determined. There's a cave about a mile from here. We can hole up there until the storm passes. The others looked at him, unsure. But they could all hear the growling outside, and they knew that they didn't have much of a choice. They quickly gathered their things and prepared to make a run for it. Tom took the lead, his flashlight shining a path through the darkness. The others followed closely behind, their hearts pounding with fear. The wind was howling and the rain was pouring down, making it difficult to see where they were going. But they stumbled on, driven by fear and the hope of survival. Finally, they reached the cave. It was small and cramped, but it was better than nothing. They huddled together, trying to stay warm and dry, and trying not to think about the creature out there in the darkness. But as the night wore on, they began to realize that they were not alone in the cave. At first, it was just a feeling. A sense of unease, as if something was watching them from the shadows. But then they began to hear strange noises, the sound of something moving in the darkness. And then they saw it. Two glowing eyes, staring back at them from the shadows. It was the same creature that they had seen outside the cabin, and it was now lurking in the shadows of the cave. They could hear it breathing, could feel its hot breath on their skin. They tried to stay quiet, hoping that it would go away. But the creature was relentless, stalking them through the cave and never giving them a moment's peace. As the night wore on, the travelers began to realize that they were not going to make it out alive. The creature was too strong, too fast, too powerful for them to defeat. And so they huddled together in the darkness, waiting for the end to come. 
but as the creature closed in on them, something strange began to happen. The darkness began to swirl and twist, and they were suddenly transported to a different time and place. They found themselves standing in a clearing in the forest, surrounded by strange, ancient ruins. The creature that had been stalking them was nowhere to be seen. Confused and disoriented, the travelers looked around, trying to make sense of what had just happened. They realized that they were no longer in the mountains, but somewhere far older and far stranger. As they explored the ruins, they began to uncover strange and unsettling secrets. They found ancient artifacts that seemed to be imbued with supernatural power, and they discovered evidence of a long-lost civilization that had worshipped dark and malevolent gods. They soon realized that they were not alone in the ruins. They encountered other travelers who had been caught up in the strange vortex, and they banded together to try to survive in this bizarre and terrifying world. But as they delved deeper into the ruins, they began to realize that there was something even more sinister at work. They found evidence of a ritual that would awaken an ancient and malevolent force, a force that had been dormant for centuries. The travelers knew that they had to stop the ritual, no matter what the cost. They banded together and prepared for a final confrontation with the cultists who were attempting to awaken the ancient force. As they battled the cultists, they could feel the power of the ancient force growing stronger and stronger. They were outmatched and outnumbered, but they refused to give up. And then, in a burst of light and energy, the ancient force was awakened. It was a being of pure malevolence, a force of destruction and chaos that threatened to tear apart the very fabric of reality. But the travelers refused to back down. They banded together and faced the ancient force head-on, using their wits and their courage to defeat the monster. In the end, they were victorious. The ancient force was banished back to its prison, and the travelers were returned to their own time and place. They had survived a night of terror in the mountains, and they had uncovered secrets that no one else would ever know. As they made their way back to civilization, they knew that they had been changed forever by their experiences in the mountains. They had faced their fears and come out on the other side, stronger and wiser than before. And they knew that they would never forget the eerie horror of that fateful night. The Ghosts of Oakwood Hospital As the full-time nurse at the abandoned Oakwood Hospital, Abby had grown accustomed to the eerie silence that filled the halls. She spent most of her days doing rounds through the empty rooms, checking the equipment that hadn't been used in years, and ensuring the building was still secure. Despite the hospital's rundown appearance, Abby had always found it strangely comforting. The creaking floorboards, flickering lights, and the sense of isolation made her feel like she was in a world of her own. One night, while walking through the halls, Abby noticed something strange. She heard the sound of a baby crying. It was coming from one of the patient rooms. The room was supposed to be empty, but the sound was unmistakable. As she entered the room, she saw a cot in the corner of the room. Inside the cot was a baby wrapped in a blanket, but it wasn't crying. The sound was coming from the other side of the room, where a rocking chair sat. Abby approached the chair and saw a woman sitting in it, rocking back and forth. The woman had long, unkempt hair that obscured her face, and she wore a white hospital gown. Abby could hear her sobbing between the cries of the baby. Are you okay? Abby asked, tentatively. The woman didn't respond, but the crying stopped. Abby cautiously stepped closer and reached out to touch the woman's shoulder. As her hand made contact, the woman turned to face her, revealing a face that was twisted with grief. Please help me, the woman begged. My baby, she's sick. She needs medicine. Abby didn't know what to do. The woman was clearly unwell, and the baby didn't seem to be real. 
She was about to call for help when the woman grabbed her by the wrist, causing Abby to jump. You have to help us, the woman said. Or we'll never be able to leave this place. Abby pulled away and ran out of the room, not stopping until she was outside. She took a deep breath and tried to calm herself down. That was when she heard the sound of footsteps behind her. She turned around to see the woman and the baby standing in the doorway, looking directly at her. You can't leave us here, the woman said. You have to help us. We're trapped in this place, and we can't leave until you do something. Abby didn't know what to do. She felt like she was losing her mind. She couldn't tell if the woman and the baby were real or not. But she knew one thing for certain, she needed to get out of there. As she turned to run, she heard the woman say something that made her blood run cold. We'll see you soon. Abby didn't stop running until she was in her car and driving away from the hospital. As she drove, she tried to convince herself that it had all been a hallucination, but deep down, she knew that something was very wrong with that place. Over the next few days, Abby tried to put the incident behind her. But she couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching her. She started having nightmares about the woman and the baby, and she felt like she was being followed wherever she went. Finally, she decided to go back to the hospital and confront her fears. She entered the building with trepidation, but everything seemed to be normal. The lights were on, and there was no sign of the woman or the baby. As she made her way through the halls, she heard the sound of footsteps behind her. She turned around to see the woman and the baby standing in front of her. I told you we'd see you soon. Abby backed away from the woman and the baby, her heart pounding in her chest. She was certain she had locked all the doors and windows behind her, how could they have gotten in? The woman and the baby didn't move or say anything. They simply stood there, staring at Abby with empty eyes. Who are you? Abby finally managed to ask. The woman took a step forward, and Abby could see the desperation in her eyes. My name is Sarah, she said. This is my daughter, Lily. We died here, in this hospital, and we've been trapped here ever since. But we can't leave until we find a way to save Lily. Abby was stunned. She had heard rumors about strange occurrences at the hospital, but she had never believed them. Now, standing face to face with a ghostly apparition, she didn't know what to do. What do you want from me? She asked. We need your help, Sarah said. There's a medicine that can save Lily, but we can't get it. We need you to find it for us. Abby was skeptical. She didn't know how a medicine could help a ghost, but she didn't want to anger Sarah and Lily. She agreed to help. Sarah gave her the name of the medicine, and Abby set out to find it. She spent hours scouring the hospital, looking for any sign of the medicine, but she couldn't find it. As she was about to give up, she stumbled upon a hidden room in the basement of the hospital. Inside the room, she found an old pharmacy, filled with bottles of medicine and medical supplies. She searched through the bottles until she found the one Sarah had mentioned. It was a rare medicine, one that hadn't been used in years. Abby wasn't sure if it would work, but she knew she had to try. When she returned to Sarah and Lily, she gave them the medicine. They disappeared without a word, leaving Abby standing alone in the empty hospital. Days turned into weeks, and Abby thought she had seen the last of Sarah and Lily. But one night, while she was doing her rounds, she heard the sound of a baby crying. It was coming from the room where she had first met Sarah and Lily. As she entered the room, she saw Sarah sitting in the rocking chair, cradling Lily in her arms. The baby was no longer sickly and pale. She was rosy-cheeked and healthy, cooing contentedly in her mother's arms. Sarah looked up at Abby, tears streaming down her face. Thank you, she whispered. 
and then they were gone, disappearing into the ether. For weeks after, Abby couldn't shake the feeling that she was being watched. She could hear the sound of a baby crying in the distance, and sometimes she could swear she saw the ghostly apparition of Sarah and Lily wandering the halls of the hospital. But she wasn't afraid anymore. She knew that, in some small way, she had helped them find peace. As she walked through the empty halls of the hospital, she couldn't help but smile. She had never believed in ghosts before, but now she knew they were real. And in a strange way, that knowledge made her feel less alone. Whispers in the Mist, The Horror of Halesworth It was a misty morning when I arrived in the remote village of Halesworth. As I made my way through the cobbled streets, the fog seemed to grow thicker and denser, obscuring everything around me. The few people I saw were huddled in groups, whispering in hushed tones and looking over their shoulders nervously. It was clear that something was not quite right in this place. I had come to Halesworth in search of a story. As a writer of horror fiction, I was always on the lookout for inspiration, and this village had a reputation for being one of the spookiest places in the country. Rumors of hauntings and strange occurrences had been circulating for years, and I was determined to find out if there was any truth to them. As I wandered through the streets, I noticed that many of the houses were abandoned and boarded up. It was as if the entire village had been frozen in time, with no signs of life or activity anywhere. But just when I was about to give up hope, I came across an old woman sitting on a bench outside a dilapidated cottage. She was hunched over, with wispy gray hair framing her face. Her eyes were clouded with age, but she looked up as I approached. Can I help you young man, she asked in a quavering voice. I'm a writer, I said, introducing myself. I'm interested in the stories about this village. Do you know anything about them? The old woman cackled, a sound that made my skin crawl. Oh, I know plenty, she said. But you won't find any stories around here. Not anymore. They're all buried deep, where no one can ever find them. I felt a chill run down my spine, but I pressed on. Can you tell me anything about what happened here? The old woman leaned in, her voice dropping to a whisper. It started with the arrival of the new vicar. He was a strange one, always muttering to himself and staring off into space. But it wasn't until the children started disappearing that we realized something was wrong. The children. I repeated, horrified. Yes. They were taken in the night, one by one. We searched high and low, but we never found them. And then, just as suddenly as it had started, it stopped. But the village was never the same again. I thanked the old woman and left her to her thoughts. I knew I had found my story. But as I began to research the history of the village, I realized that the old woman's tale was just the tip of the iceberg. It started with the arrival of the new vicar, a man with a dark secret and a penchant for the occult. He had come to Halesworth to conduct experiments in raising the dead, and he had chosen the village because of its remote location and superstitious inhabitants. At first, the vicar's experiments seemed harmless enough. He worked late into the night, conducting strange rituals in the local cemetery. But then the children started to disappear, taken in the night by creatures that no one could identify. The villagers were terrified, but the vicar seemed oblivious to their fear. He continued his experiments, even as the parents of the missing children pleaded with him to stop. It was only when the body of one of the missing children was found in the cemetery that the villagers decided to take matters into their own hands. They stormed the vicarage, determined to put an end to the madness once and for all. But what they found inside was more horrifying than they could have ever imagined. The vicar had indeed succeeded in raising the dead, but his experiments had gone terribly wrong. 
the creatures that had been taking the children were the undead, reanimated by the vicar's dark magic. The villagers tried to fight back, but the undead were too powerful. They swarmed over the mob, tearing them apart with their bare hands. The only survivors were a handful of children, who managed to escape into the surrounding woods. As the years went by, the village was left in ruins. The survivors fled, never to return, and the only things that remained were the boarded-up houses and the haunted memories of the past. But the horrors of Halesworth were not contained to the village. They had spread, like a disease, infecting anyone who came too close. And as I delved deeper into the story, I began to realize that the darkness had already taken hold of me. I found myself waking up in the middle of the night, drenched in sweat, with the feeling that something was watching me. I heard strange noises in the darkness, whispers that seemed to come from nowhere. And as the mist rolled in, I could swear that I saw movement in the shadows. I tried to leave Halesworth, to put the horrors behind me, but it was as if the village had claimed me as its own. I was trapped, unable to escape the clutches of the undead that still roamed the countryside. And then, one night, I saw them. A group of undead, their eyes glowing in the darkness, closing in on me. I knew I had only one chance, and I ran, my heart pounding in my chest, my breath coming in ragged gasps. As I burst through the gates of the village, I looked back, just in time to see the undead disappear into the mist. And in that moment, I knew that I had narrowly escaped a fate worse than death. But even as I left Halesworth behind, I could feel its dark power following me, a curse that would haunt me for the rest of my days. And as I looked out at the mist-covered landscape, I knew that the horrors of the village would never truly be laid to rest. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Haunted Grove. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and we can't wait to share more with you in our next episode. Be sure to subscribe to Haunted Grove on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review to help others discover our podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.